morning, everyone. I'm going to be sharing from the next passage in, uh, in Matthew chapter 5. If you want to turn there while we intro. Um, we're reading from verse 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? If it is no longer good for anything and except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot, you are the light of the world, a town built on a hill that cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to every, everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come to abolish, uh, I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not even the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Ouch. That's a nice uplifting scripture for the morning to open with. Lord, we thank you for, uh, for your wisdom uh, and for your witness uh, that everything that you have taught us is good, Lord, that, uh, that your spirit can help reveal to us these things. And I pray this morning as we open up this text, God, that we would see you that we would see Jesus this morning, that we would see your heart, that we would see your heart for this world, that we would have a vision for what is before us, God. Let us see with your eyes. Let us hear. Um, Lord, we pray that as, uh, as we discern, God, that we wouldn't just decide on information, God, but we would be transformed by your word in the name of Jesus. Amen. So this is a scripture that I think everyone knows really well, or at least has heard kind of the, the intro. Um, but like most texts, where we begin to get into trouble is where we read it on its own, as if it hasn't just followed on from the sermon that we heard last week and the week before, as if it hasn't just been part of a bigger story, a bigger picture as if it's a command, not a statement, as if it's something that Jesus just dropped on a group of people, no matter who they were or you know, what was going on. But that's not the case. I'm going to ask you to do something this morning. Just close your eyes for a moment. If you're here and you have reason uh, to be grieved or, or mourning, 
something that in your life has been unfair that you recognise. If you're here and you've ever struggled to make ends meet or felt like you're the least of these, if you're here and you have a desire for righteousness and for justice to be done, if you're here and you feel like sometimes the way that you go about things might not be something that'll change the world by power or by conquering a war, but God's put something on your heart and your desire is to serve him in a way that looks like peacemaking. If you recognised yourself in any of those statements that we heard preached on over the last two weeks, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. If you recognise yourself in any of those statements, then I could maybe ask you to lift your hand. But I'd have a, a guess that that would probably be anyone sitting in this room today. So if that's something you identify with, while everyone else is not looking, just lift your hand for me so I can see you, that you would recognise yourself in any one of those statements as someone who mourns, as someone who has faced financial insecurity, as someone who has hungered and thirsted for the righteousness or to see justice done in the lives of others. You can put your hands down, open your eyes. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. This is the statement that Jesus makes. He follows right on. Our Bibles probably insert a nice little heading that says salt and light, something along those lines, but Jesus didn't. Didn't see it necessary to break Matthew as he records it. Doesn't break the text there, it just is right on from the part that talks about persecution, right on from the part that talks about those who would suffer alongside the suffering. You are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Not some lofty ideal to attain to and not a judgment on those who don't get it right enough, but a statement about who we are in God. As those who find ourselves in those places by nature of our situation or because we're following Jesus, like we talked about last week, because we find ourselves in those places, the promise, the blessing even, 
maybe, of the kingdom being at hand is that we are the salt of the earth and light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. I looked up, I was interested to see if that was a phrase that Jesus used or if it's become a phrase because Jesus used it. Apparently that's the case. It wasn't like a saying that was... Uh, a lot of things in the Bible are. It's not like everything originated with stuff Jesus said, although sometimes I read quotes from people and I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's in the Bible. I'm pretty sure Jesus said that. Um, uh, fun fact, you know, when you read your text, if you've got an older, like a NKJV or a um, King James Version, you might have not one iota will pass away, which is really funny. Is it, like my mum used to say that, like um, not one iota. And I don't think she actually would know. It wasn't until I learnt Greek that I realised it actually means the letter, you know, like the I. It's like this little, like, lowercase I, you imagine. So what he's literally saying is, like, not one letter. That's why our translations now say what? Not one letter and not one dot in the Greek. So that, you know, the dot on the top of the I? <laughs> That's how specific it gets. Um, but that phrase, not one iota, comes from this text. But anyway, so does this, uh, so does this, the salt of the earth is a saying that comes from the text, not um, something that's been used in the text. And so it means what it means in this context, not what we've decided that it means and then we impose that on what Jesus is saying. Being the salt of the earth, what does that look like? What did Jesus mean by saying, oh, the salt of the earth? I heard this preached over and over again, salt of the earth. And I think it wasn't until later in my Christian walk that I heard more about the seasoning of salt than I did about uh, the sanctification or the purification or, you know, those messages that are about how salt preserves and salt keeps everything, you know, healthy because that, they didn't have refrigeration. Like, how many of you heard a, a sermon where they tell you that they didn't have refrigeration? And so, so, like, right? We, if you've been in church five minutes, totally there. But it means what it means in the text because that's where the saying has come from. And, he goes on immediately to talk about tastelessness. So he's not... And, and maybe it, it means and has those implications at the same time, but its primary meaning in this is the seasoning kind of um, attribute of salt. It is referring to the ability of salt to bring something to the dish that it is in, the ability of salt to permeate and improve, let's be real. <laughs> Have you ever bought hot chips? I, so this, I literally thought, I said, I've been asking Duncan all week, I want to use like a demonstration, right? 
I should have bought in some hot chips but not put salt on it. Have you ever eaten hot chips without salt? They're really not good. They're just dry potatoes. Like, it's not, it's not great. And, like, the worst thing is when you, like, go quite far away from wherever you've bought the chips from and then realise that there's no salt on them by the time you eat that, like... And so you've got to then trek back to the shop or you decide, like, am I just going to endure this? And I've watched even my kids will not finish, like, a thing of hot chips if they don't have salt on them. It, it literally does make things better. And, um, and it's kind of... It's such a hard thing to understand in a world... And was it... Where was it I heard this week someone quoted that... Um, quote, maybe one of you guys can remember between Duncan and Jared, someone was talking about how um, the uh, we uh, the poor tell us who we are. Was that you that said that? Yeah, so yeah, there's the quote, yeah. So the poor tell us who we are and uh, uh, and the prophets tell us who we can be and so we hide our poor and um, and we kill the prophets. In a world that that is really our reality, where more than ever we're so far removed from the consequences of our actions on the most vulnerable people in the world, like literally by, you know, geography, but also by the way we structure our society and, um, you know, class and, and, and then even literally when it comes to, you know, the projection and understanding that comes from the media and all of those things in a world where we hide the poor more than ever. It's hard to understand a reality where Jesus says to the poor, the meek, the mourning, the oppressed and those who stand alongside them that you are the salt of the earth. I've been reflecting quite a lot over the last week about um, our time in youth ministry as we're sort of talking with um, a young leader who's going to come and help us with youth and um, getting a few leaders or a few people who are interested in helping. Um, And as we're talking about what youth ministry looked like um, maybe three or four years ago here, and talking about how how it can actually be something that brings life and is is something that's recognized as substance and goodness in the lives of young people i was thinking about the times um and the things that we did as a youth ministry uh we have always had, well, as long as almost I've been in ministry, we've had Alter One connected and we've been involved in high school outreaches and, and we've had, um, you know, this group of young people, mostly not from church backgrounds, um, that have come along and, and what that looked like in the lives of those young people and what it looked like to see uh, young people move away from some of the things that they were involved in that were not good for them or for those around them. And, and while we've been reflecting on all that that was and what it looked like, 
trying to sort of build a picture uh, between the group of us of what youth ministry needs to look like, um, what, what youth ministry has to offer as a group, as a space for young people. And, and one of the key things that all of the group were able to reflect on, all of the group uh, brought up, um, was you know just creating space for connection for those who otherwise are disconnected. And we talked about the need to disproportionately invest in the lives of those who are disproportionately disadvantaged. And so, um, and it's something that we kind of maybe didn't have a, a solid theology for you know, five or ten years ago, but something that we've come to just, I guess, through um, through knowing who God has been in our lives and pursuing that. But one thing I've learned in that season of ministry, getting alongside the hardest kids, you know, the ones who everyone else had given up on, the stories I can tell you about young people who we still get to have conversations now with who our youth leaders spent long nights chasing, you know, off, like, main roads when they were literally at the end of, you know, being willing to be present in the world anymore. Young people who were completely disengaged from education and connection who are now doing awesome things in their lives... And when, we, when I reflect on that time, there is something that is so alive about being in the midst of those situations. There's something that brings life when you're able to get a hold of this reality that where the kingdom is made present, life actually exists. You know, those promises that we read about, about God wanting to bring life and life to the full, those promises that we read about how we find a real kind of life in him, become so tangible in the midst of living out who we are in God in those kind of situations that you start to be able to get an understanding. Life exists where the kingdom exists. And it doesn't make sense. Like everything in the world set up to give us this kind of idea that life exists in comfort and having the best of everything. That life exists in a place where we have, you know, more than someone else. And everything in Jesus teaches us otherwise. That life is found in the midst of the hard places where God is at work. There's something so upside down about that it's actually quite hard to explain in a way that doesn't come across like we... 
in a way that commodifies that kind of thing because it's not about that. It's about being where God has called us to be and being obedient to what he's calling us to do, being who he has called us to be. And he said that we are the salt of the earth, light of the world. So without having to try to control or manipulate, and I think that's some of the understanding in the Christian world right now, that if we can just have enough power, then we can make things right. I think if that was going to work, Jesus probably would have tried it. (laughs) If all of history has been on purpose, you know, to see the fulfilment of God's plan for the world, don't you think God himself would have given that a crack? And yet we still try. We get caught up in trying to beat the system, trying to gain the power, trying to be the best. You are the light of the world. If you look in history at the people who are remembered, not because they did horrific things or because of the harm they caused, but the ones who are remembered because of what they achieved in the world, very, very, very few of them held what we would recognise as world, like worldly power. The people who are remembered kindly in history are the Mother Teresas of the world. Like, they're the people who were persecuted. They're the people who were martyred because they stood for righteousness and justice. They're the people who served the least of these. Every story that you'll pick up about someone who, you know, who is remembered as a as a person who's affected change for humanity, who's transformed the world in some way. If they did it in a position of power, it was not because of it, it was in spite of it. And they're a minority. Most are just people in whatever position they were in, living this out, being salt of the earth and light of the world. And that's the sum total of this, the second part of this text, the light of the world. Something incredibly comforting about light. If you've ever had young children, you'll know that in darkness, anything can be anything, but just a small amount of light and everything can be okay. The world needs a guiding light. And Jesus, you know, He says he is the light of the world. But in the same, says we're the light of the world. 
How does that work? Love God. Love others. One commandment. Some of these things where something is stated as a fact. It's like you can't have two people in first place. Kind of you ever, like try to try to rationalize that with a young child, you know, who came first. Um, Duncan likes to tell them they both came second. Um, <laughs> this is true when Jesus is made real in our life by default. Christ in me. It's not there's not a set of things that you have to attain to and sometimes in well-meaning, I guess, ambition in Christian culture, we've set standard as the source of influence and it's not. Christ in me is the source of our, our, our testimony and that is only not how well we can tell the story. It's literally what God has done to transform our lives. It's the reality of that. That is where the power sits. The light of the world. There's so much... And I think you could probably do um, do a whole series of teaching just on on the different implications and and the things that are alluded to in this passage around what it is to be a city on a hill and a light for others to see. But light gives hope, and it leads. And if we can understand just one thing out of this whole passage is that if we can go where Jesus calls us to go and we can make space for him to be revealed through our lives, then that is the truth of what what happens from that point is that we then become what he calls the light of the world. Not by holding some impossible standard and not by enforcing some unattainable, you know, or or claiming some power or position, but simply by being who God has called us to be. And ask the band to come and join before we come around the table this morning. If we were to remember one thing as a church, if we were to go from this place today or any other Sunday, if we were to live out one thing as a church, It should only ever be 
to pursue Jesus being revealed in our life. Whatever that looks like. However, he is working in and through you. Making space for others in our life. Going to the places where he would go. So that that can be made real to others. If we made all of our decisions based on that, we wouldn't need to learn 613 commandments or five books of law. Which I kind of figured that that's what's being set up in the simplicity of the gospel that Jesus preaches. That it... There is a way, and the way is Jesus. And if we we have one thing to confess, to repent of this morning, it's not that we haven't evangelized enough, and I have often heard this text used to guilt people about not you know not reaching enough people or being bold enough or you know having a strong enough flavor you know are you obnoxiously christian enough that people notice but it's that we haven't followed jesus that we haven't found ourselves in the places where he's needed us to be. Or maybe we've resented the places that we were. Or we've wanted to be somewhere else. He said they were the city on the hill. And if I could sum up a whole set of context. He also teaches not long after that the physical city on the hill would be no more. So he's not saying set yourself up in the places of prominence. He's saying the places where you'll be found will be the important ones. So if I could confess this morning, it would be seeking to be found in the places of prominence, whether it's in one person's life or in the right place at the right time. And failing to recognise that the places we are matter, that the people who are here matter that the situation or what is in my hand at this moment matters. I've certainly failed in following Jesus to the places where he's called me to go. 
And so if you feel like there would be times that you failed at that too, then before we come around the table, we'll just take time to pray. Merciful God. We confess that we haven't always got it right. That we haven't always gone where you've called us to go. We haven't always loved others the way that you've called us to. that we've sought maybe to be the city on the hill more than we have sought to be called your people who would be like the city on the hill. We confess this morning that sometimes we've tried to do it our own way we get caught up doing things get caught up leading and forget to follow get caught up serving and forget to follow Lord help us to follow you to the places where you're leading us to go where you would go to be a church that is found in the places that your kingdom is found. That your kingdom is being made real. To be a church that would lead in a way that would make that a reality in the places that you're calling us to go. We thank you for your grace and your mercy that covers and empowers. Amen. As we come around the table this morning, we remember that we're first found in the presence of a God who made a way for us. That we can be forgivers because we've been forgiven, that we find grace and mercy here so we can show it to others. part of the power of coming around the table each week and I got to have a chat with a few people who've been coming along to church recently and um, just this week and some of the most encouraging things they were able to share with me 
is how they've been able to learn not always from just the people who are speaking on Sunday, but just by getting alongside people who are different from them. I I think we need to be intentionally a group of people who are different enough that we challenge one another. We go and spend time with people who are just like us, who do things just like us. And we don't really think a whole lot about all the things. There's that proverb speaks about iron sharpening iron. The crazy thing about that is the most effective way to sharpen something that's rough or blunt is on something that's rough or blunt, not with something sharp. It's actually our rough edges that help to shape that help to sharpen if we can learn to do that with grace if we can learn to do that empowered by the Christ in us and our own strength or by doing it the right way but because of who he is being revealed in us because of our character transformed by spending time in his presence that this is practically a place where God meets us. And so we come around the table weekly as a way of recognising that work that God does in us, in this place. So this is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It's made ready for those who love God and those who want to love God more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have a little, you who have been here often and you who have just come for the first time, you who have tried to follow Jesus, you who have failed in following Jesus and you who have just decided to follow Jesus today, come. Let nothing keep you from love's feast. Let nothing empty this table of his power. Leave judgment behind and receive mercy. Leave indifference behind and recognize God's family. Leave now, if necessary, go and be a forgiver, then run back. Because it is the Lord who invites us. It is God's will that those who desire Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would encounter him here. So come. Blessed are the ones who do not Bury all the broken pieces of their heart. Blessed are the tears of all the weary, pouring like a sky of falling stars. Blessed are the ones who do not.
Blessed are the wounded ones in mourning, brave enough to show the Lord their scars. Blessed are the hurts that are not hidden, open to the healing touch of God. The kingdom is yours. The kingdom is yours. Hold on a little more. This is not the end. Hope is in the Lord. Keep your eyes on Him. Blessed are the ones who walk in kindness Even in the face of great abuse And blessed are the deeds that go unnoticed Serving with unguarded gratitude And blessed are the ones who for justice Longing for the common day of peace Blessed is the soul that thirsts for righteousness Welcoming the last, the lost, the least The kingdom is Those who persevere 